You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. This morning, um, I, I do want to say about South Wake Bible Institute, bridging the gap between Sunday school and seminary, the work that you'll be required to do will be closer to the Sunday school level but the information that you receive will be closer to the seminary level. It's really a great opportunity to take your knowledge, your understanding, and your relationship with the Lord. Because the more we learn about the Word and the ways of God that He has called us to live and the ways He has called us to live, the closer you're going to be with the Lord. So you've already heard in two weeks we crank children's ministry back up. That's not going to be... Completely smooth. We surely will have glitches. Uh, it's modified, smaller, uh, smaller number of classes. First service will be just like this one, mask required. Second service, mask highly recommended. So I know the children will fight and scream because they'll be so sad that they'll be missing these sermons at, at, on Sunday mornings. And, but they'll, you tell them the advantage of going on back to children's ministry. That's a joke. But... You're a little slow this morning. I said, I'll see. See what I got to work with. And I do like the idea we, we've been <laughs> working on this. And this is a good time to make the change to 9 30, 11 o'clock services. Most of our services are 45 minutes. I can assure you this one's going to be just a little more. <clears throat> but um, typically that, get, that would give us, uh, what, 45 minutes in between the two services. Right now it's a little bit. Long And those are easier times to remember. 9.30 and 11. And uh, by the way, I want, we're jumping back into John's gospel. We haven't been here in almost a year. Uh, and so it may be a little bit difficult to sort of get your mind back in the place. If you haven't already this last couple of weeks read through the gospel of John, it would be good to do that again. And you know, we've talked about how the prologue, those first 18 verses of John uh, just play themselves out. That's what Dr. Calvert was preaching on last week so, and did so well. That, that the prologue sort of gives the, 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 the preview and we keep coming back and making connections. Well, I'm finding the same thing in John 17. So it may be that you want to read John 17 before you go back and start with John 1 if you haven't already done it. So if you can't this week, at least by in the next two weeks, if it's possible to read through the Gospel of John, um, that would be wonderful if you would do it. So before we get into John 17, let's think about prayer in the service as we just finished um, exercising just a moment ago. If you learned this morning that next Sunday morning you would be asked to... Lead our prayer time, and then you would need to pray publicly for one to two minutes. How would you approach such a task other than with terror? Some of you would say uh, that's what I, how I would approach it. If you sought advice, you would likely be told simply to pray as if it's just you and God in the room. But is that the best advice? When you're praying publicly to just pray as though it's you and God, many, if not most, of the New Testament prayers were offered with listeners clearly in mind. In fact, I can't think of one that wasn't 
offered that way. It was prayed with everyone who was in the room in mind. My advice, if you're asked to lead our congregation in prayer, is to write out your prayer. Now, as you write, pray about what you're going to say, but prepare with the rest of the congregation in mind. Jesus' great prayer recorded in John 17, characterized by some as the high priestly prayer, is in some ways a continuation of Jesus' instructions for his disciples on the night before he was crucified. So he was teaching as well as communicating with God, teaching his disciples. If you're new to grace and you would like to know how we got to this place, you can listen to the sermons from John on our podcast. There are quite a few of them. Or it would be quicker to go to the website and go to the sermon manuscripts that will be under the sermons tab on our website. Uh, David, as I've already said, did a really good job of getting our hearts prepared to re-enter some of the most profound teaching in the entire Bible about who Jesus is and why he came. It's fitting that he preached from the prologue to John found in those first 18 verses of chapter 1. Again, every single text in John can be connected back to the prologue. Today's sermon comes from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Wish I had time to provide a full context, but some of that is going to develop as we (coughs) work through Jesus' prayer. It comes at the end of the farewell discourse. If you want to be technical about the farewell discourse, it, it begins in John 13, 31, and it goes through John 16. But we're including everything from 13 to 17, through 17, as a part of Jesus' instructions to his disciples on that fateful night. You'll quickly see as we begin this prayer that although Jesus is praying to his Father, he also has the disciples in mind as he prays. John 17, verses 1 through 8. Would you please stand as the word is being read? When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. As I was preparing this message and thinking about the next two weeks as well in John 17, it seemed best to me to approach John 17 verse by verse, just to go through this chapter verse by verse. We're going to spend two more Sundays here. And while there will be a few points of application here and there, as there will be at the end of this message, we'll go verse by verse because even though there is instruction and somewhat of a discernible movement, a structure in the prayer, it is, after all, a prayer. The theme is, is a call for God's purposes to be fulfilled. So the prayer is a unit. It, it, it stands... All the same, even though there are some discernible sections in it. Jesus prays in this prayer for God's will to be accomplished. For his purposes to be accomplished according to his will. Why would Jesus pray that? We know that God is sovereign and his will is going to be accomplished. So why pray for that? Maybe because prayer is part of the plan for God's will being done. And that should be an encouragement to all of us who are praying for lost people to be saved. Maybe they're in our family. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone you've just been introduced to. But when you are praying for someone, I always take courage and encouragement because it seems to me that this is God's design for making his will be done on earth as it is in heaven for us to Pray for it to be accomplished. Jesus begins this prayer with a clear claim to divinity. Addressing as the son, God as his father. In verse 1, the words that Jesus had spoken included the profound teaching in John 13, 16. Where Jesus had spoken much about the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. And the believer's relationship to Jesus as branches connected to the vine. So that life and fruit will flow. And about persecution to come. And about so many different things. <laughs> that uh, we learned in those chapters. And now Jesus turns his attention to the Father in prayer. And he acknowledges from the beginning of this prayer. That his hour has come the hour in which the son would be glorified and would at the same time glorify the father. So what is that hour to which Jesus refers in John uh, 17 1? It is the hour of his crucifixion and his crucifixion assumes the resurrection. Whenever we talk about Jesus crucifixion being central to all History, it assumes the resurrection. We learned in John 12 that God's glory is more clearly revealed in the cross than at any other place. It's, and we're going to flesh that out in home group this week. What, how is that so? What does that mean? It's worth taking the time this morning to read John 12, verses 27 to 33, as an explanation for what... Uh, much of what Jesus is going to pray in John 17. So verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Glorify, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world that would be accomplished at the cross. Everything, past, present, future, was judged. Sin was judged at the cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, is what he meant, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The cross is at the center of everything. It is the place where God's love for sinners and his wrath against sin meet as the sun is lifted up to die. And when the father turned his back on the son because he was bearing our sins, the glory of God shone brightest. It is our only hope of eternal life. And the cross is the glory of believers. The apostle Paul said in Galatians 6.14, but be it far from me, to boast, and some of your translations say to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In what do you boast? In what is your glory? In verses 2 and 3, Jesus asserts his authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom he will according to the Father's design and plan. So who is it that's giving eternal life to men, women, boys, and girls? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Or is it, for that matter, the Holy Spirit about whom we learn so much in John 14 to 16? You know the answer. It's yes. Of course, but each member of the Trinity has a distinct role in our salvation according to the Father's design. It, one thing that is clear, and I'm not going to make a big deal, but you can't help but see it in this text over and over and over. And back in John 12 where it says they could not believe because, and then Isaiah 6 is quoted, their eyes were, their ears were hardened. Deafened so they couldn't hear. Their hearts were hardened so they wouldn't believe. One thing is clear. God is the active agent in our salvation. This is going to become increasingly evident as we go along in the prayer. In verse 4, Jesus states that he has completed the task given to him by the Father. Jesus' work was done to the glory of God. But wait a minute. Is he praying this before or after the cross? He's praying it before the cross. It's yet to come. And in fact, very soon after this prayer, Jesus is going to ask the Father to be delivered 
from the cross if there is any other way possible. How do we make sense of that? And by the way, even though Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane is not recorded in John, we're going to take a week at the end of John 17 just so that we have a sense of the timeline and talk about his agony that night in the garden from one of the synoptic gospels. But how are we going to process this? Well, there are two things. First, Jesus had lived his entire life according to God's will. He had obeyed every jot and tittle of the law. He had always sought and done the Father's will. Jesus was the second Adam getting right what the first Adam, our great-great-great-great-grandfather, got wrong. So therefore, he was an eligible sacrifice for sin. Second, even though the obedience of, that Philippians 2 references that says Jesus would lead Jesus to death on a cross was still hours away, that level of obedience led him to die, even death on a cross. Even so, the sovereign God of the universe... And that would be Jesus knew that it would be accomplished. Look, as they say, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in the face of your fear, despite your fears. This is great news for us that God's will is going to be accomplished. He will always Accomplish what his word decrees. Just as Jesus is praying here. So that we might stand before the throne of God one day. Spotless and pure. Not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus' righteousness. So, does verse 5 remind you of the prologue? I think it does. Jesus has existed just as long as the Father has existed, so too has the Holy Spirit existed. Our God is a triune God. We have just finished our January series that in many ways was intended for us to hear from God what it means to prepare for persecution, which I think is increasingly Likely in our day, we're already seeing the same kinds of persecution that the early church was seeing when first Peter was written and Philippians was written. Now, I don't know of a prominent preacher that's in jail like Paul was, but the, the persecution that most of the church members suffered was kind of like we did. We were we are suffering now, but it got ramped up very quickly. When Rome burned, you know, one incident just makes everything turn upside down. And make no mistake, whether the politician's design is to get the church or not, it is Satan's design. It's always been done. Now, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. But that doesn't say America. I can't find American church anywhere in there. The gospel moves, but we, have it, being recipients of the gospel, are blessed and privileged to stand for the Lord even when the world comes against God because it's in those times that we are very much united. We're always united with Jesus, but that union becomes very 
precious to us. So what should we do if we lose our religious freedom and suffer persecution? Should we concentrate on political movements and strategize with community and social networks to make sure that our just cause is known? Not really. You know what we should do? If you don't get anything else, get this. We should learn as much as we can about our triune God. Exalting Jesus with both our words and our actions. So having spent time reflecting on the beginning of Jesus' prayer, allow the truth of verses 6 through 8 to seep into your heart and mind and soul. almost took this out because of time this morning. But I I think it's worth our time. Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. In verse 6, Jesus shifts his focus from praying about God's glory to praying specifically for the disciples. I would have cut it off after verse 5, but it just the time doesn't work to get it done in three weeks. So I'm going on to verse 8, and it's okay. It all flows together anyway. Jesus tells his father that he has revealed God's nature to them. That's what it means to manifest the name of someone. It means to reveal his nature. And Jesus has revealed God's nature. There were a lot of religious leaders walking around certain that they knew everything about God. Jesus said, no, these are the ones who know. Not the ones you would have expected, but these were the ones who have been told about your nature. And that was part of the reason they have been transferred from the world to God's family. The gospel is a simple truth. When Adam and Eve sinned, the entire world fell away from the Creator, and thus we are all born with a sinful nature. And there's no way to repair the damage that's been done. We cannot dwell in God's presence because of the stain of sin that is on our souls. And since we are hopelessly lost and God desired to pour out his love on his family, he sent Jesus to live the life we were unable to live and die the death that we deserve. Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment. For sin that was to be ours and rightly to be ours. And when we repent of our sins or when we acknowledge that we are the kind of sinners that God says we are not the, uh, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Or, yeah, well, you know, we're all sinners. But we are the kind of angry with God, enemies of God kind of sinners. And when we believe that Jesus died for us, which is amazing. We are brought into God's family. As simple as the gospel is, it is striking how many people don't understand it when it's shared 
in its native simplicity. You, you explain that Jesus died for them and that there's no hope apart. It's not by works. It's by Jesus' righteousness. It's by believing in him. And you ask if they understand and they say, well, yeah, you just do the best you can and hope everything will be all right. And it is at that moment that you understand there is nothing you can do to help them understand. Only when God opens their eyes can they know the truth and his saving power. And that ought to be a big part of our prayer. Lord, not give me the words to say, not this, not that. But Lord, open his eyes, open her eyes to the truth. On the night before Jesus was crucified, the, 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 crucified, the disciples did not understand all that, that we now understand. They believed to the level of understanding that they had been given. There is an assumption in Jesus' prayer that they will understand and believe the truth of the cross and resurrection of Jesus after it happened. In the short term, the disciples' world was a, their worlds were about to be rocked at levels they could not have anticipated. It was good for them that God had worked his word into their hearts through Jesus. Now, this is the other really important thing to understand about this morning. And the thing that struck me as I was preparing. In verse 6, Jesus says that they had kept his word. Which not only indicates that they obeyed his word. But also implies that they treasured his word. Such is the richness of the Greek word tereo. To keep as a treasure. This idea runs all the way through verse 8. Where Jesus happily acknowledges that the disciples believed that the Father had sent him. Today's text belies the notion that Jesus was simply a good man or a teacher or maybe even a prophet. He was either who he said he was or he was crazy. Furthermore. It is either crazy. To believe Jesus. Or it's crazy not to believe Jesus. It's one of the two. It's not that level. It's not the thing that you can say. Yeah. I just don't think that's for me. No you're crazy. One way or the other. To believe or not to believe. You cannot be in the middle. Furthermore, if you believe that Jesus was communicating truth in this semi-public prayer of John 17, then you are called to be all in. You cannot live this life in a casual sort of way, which leads us to three quick applications from the text. First, if you have believed the gospel, then follow your Savior with a singular focus. Follow him at the level that a disciple is called to follow. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, then believe all this is true. There is a heaven and hell. <clears throat> And Jesus is your only hope. He did not save you to just to ensure your destiny and then set you adrift. This is an eternal 
intimate relationship that informs every part of your being and directs your paths so that you will live in the already not yet kingdom of God. If you have a casual relationship with Jesus, I can promise you that relationship is going to be challenged at uncomfortable levels in the near future, even here in the belt of the, uh, of the buckle of the Bible belt. Second, believe and treasure the truth of God's word at the level of your understanding. We gather today as the family of God and as the church of Jesus Christ. And by the way, everything I'm saying about our relationship with God is equally true about our relationship with one another. Now, obviously, we are not Grace Community Church is not perfect. There may be reasons, but if you ever walk away, make sure it's a gospel reason. And if you're in, if the Lord has placed you here, be all in here because that's how we're all in with Jesus. We are all at different levels. We have gathered today. Maturity levels are all over the place. And, and, and our understanding, our, our knowledge is different. We already have, though, we already have much more knowledge of Jesus' mission than the disciples had on that night that he prayed for them. They were deeply shaken when Jesus was crucified and buried. But they were in the habit. They were already in the habit of treasuring his word in their hearts. So that made it easy for them to understand lots of things after Jesus rose from the dead. So do you get the point for us? If we believe and treasure God's word, then when confusing, difficult things come along, we persevere, we endure with the help of the Lord. And then on the other side, it becomes clear. We start to make sense of it. It will be much easier to gain greater insight from God in the future if we treasure his word than if we seek to form scripture to fit our own personal worldview or social imaginary that easily shifts to adapt to the culture. This ain't a cultural thing. This is anti-culture. This is swimming upstream. We just didn't know as much as we're going to know. Last. Rest in the Father's good plan that has brought you into his family. Think about this. Rest in the Father's good plan that has brought you into his family. Rest in this blessed truth. The Holy Spirit opened your spiritual eyes to understand the gospel according to the Father's plan. At the center of which is Jesus. There are a whole lot of people in your life that do not understand the gospel. But you do. You belong to God. And in these next two weeks, as we continue through John 17, you're going to hear more <clears throat> of the Savior's prayer for you. And you will grow to know at even greater levels than you already do that Jesus loves you and intercedes for you in the very 
presence of God. And I am not, I'm not sure that there is any better news that I could give you than this. Let's pray. Father, it is not surprising that Jesus would pray to you with such confidence and with such an intimate posture. But we're taken aback to think we can come into your very presence in this way. We know that Jesus shed blood, made a way for us to do so. Or maybe we are unable to discern that this is a very big thing. But it is. Increase our understanding of your character, your nature, your ways. The blessings of the triune God to and for your children. We glorify your name, Father. As Jesus is exalted in our presence and as our understanding of you is sharpened by the work of the Holy Spirit. May we refuse, as did the Apostle Paul, to glory in anything other than the cross of Christ. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.